Man, so good. So, so good. The church is not the building. And uh, you might be surprised because some of you may be in here and saying, someone invited me to church today, and uh, you're here at church. And can I just tell you, the church is a group of people that meet together. And so when we come together, that's where the church is. And then when we leave this place, the church goes out. It's among the community. It's in different workplaces. It's all over. And uh, this is us. This is who we are. This is who God's called us to be. We are his bride, known as the church. And uh, there are various local expressions of the church all around. But you and I are actually called to be the church. And so this morning, I just want to talk to you guys about this idea of of this is us. Now, how many of you, though, uh, love watching the TV show that's out there, the new TV, you know, this is us? Come on, how many of you? Come on, raise your hand. All right, so now if you love watching that show, you know that you can't watch that show without what? Without crying, absolutely. Because there's emotion throughout the show. There's ups and downs. There's all this all these various characters that are being introduced, and, and uh, Kasha and Jordan started watching this a while back, and uh, I remember coming in the room one time, and, and there they are watching, and they're just bawling like babies, and I'm like, what is going on? They're like, oh my goodness, oh, that's why, you know, and they're just, they're, they're just I mean, I'm probably over-exaggerating a little bit. But if you've watched the show, then, then you know what I'm talking about, this, this popular, heartwarming, emotional TV series that really, that really drives home this unique viewpoint of some triplets. Now, now, we know that part of the triplets, one of them passes away, and uh, so they adopt another, and they're known as the, the big three, and that would be Kevin and Kate and Randall. And so here, here we have these individuals who are sitting there, and, and their stories unfolding, and we see it in present time. We see them as adults, but then what happens is, is throughout it, we actually see the story unfolding and going back. We see um, the parents, uh, Rebecca uh, and Jack, we see them actually uh, walking through and, and and really processing through when they first met and just things in their own family. And, and, and as you watch the show, what, what really begins to take place is you begin to connect with one of the characters. You begin to understand why the characters are dealing with different things. Kate deals with her, her weight issues, and so you see that kind of unfolding in the story. You, you, you see Kevin, who's unfolding as an actor, and you see all the, the things there. You see Randall, who's dealing with all of his abandonment issues. And, and really, the whole premise of the show is, is trying to say, look, this is just life. Life isn't always filled with just always ups. There's actually some downs. And sometimes I have come to realize that sometimes as communicators, as preachers, as pastors, sometimes when we communicate, we're, we're always trying to bring hope. We're always trying to bring hope to the situation and bringing hope to people's lives. But, but here's something I've begun to realize through the years is that, that it isn't always just about hope in the midst of good times. It's also hope in the midst of bad times. Because sometimes there are struggles we go through. Sometimes there are moments where it doesn't feel like there's much peace. It doesn't feel like there's much justice. And we begin to think that, that life maybe isn't turning out the way that it should have been. I was reading an article the other day, and, 
It was talking about how this person who was new in the faith began to walk away from their faith because all they were ever told was about the good things in the gospel and about the good things that God had for me and all all the good things that would happen in life if I surrendered my life to him. And this guy was writing and he said this, he said, my life actually, since I became a Christian, has felt like it's become more of a mess. He said, it feels like there's been more attacks. Now, by the end of it, he says that what he's come to realize is this, is that it's been in those seasons of darkness and those seasons of the valleys that he said, I recognize that I wasn't walking through them alone, that God was with me in the midst of those, but in his mind, he had painted this picture because he looked at all the other people around him who were Christians, and all they ever talked about is the good things that ever happened. They never talked about the struggles and they never talked about the marriages that were, were hurting. They never talked about how they were struggling being a parent or how they were struggling in their workplace or how they were struggling with temptation in their life. He said, all I ever saw was their highlight reels, quote unquote. And yet I believe that God has called us to be a community of believers. This is us. This is us who are real with each other. So permission granted to have a little messed up life. Permission granted to not have it all together. Permission granted to know that you're in the process. So many times we expect people to be down here, but really what it's about is these steps along the way. And in order to get down here, we have to, if we're starting over here, we can't just leap down here. That does happen sometimes. I mean, I've seen God set people free. I've seen people who were struggling alcoholics and in one moment, one encounter with Jesus, never had a desire to ever touch a lick of alcohol again. And then I've seen other people who had an encounter with God and that encounter allowed them to take the next step and the next step. But yet along the way, they still struggled. Along the way, they still had these desires. And along the way, and you sit there and you go, how can it be so different for this person and so different for this person? What is the changing factor? And can I tell you, the changing factor is never God. He is the same. He walks through those seasons with us. But sometimes in the middle of those seasons as we're walking through them, what we have to realize is in our brokenness, it is a process of us being restored into the image of who Christ is. And when I think about the ups and downs that life has, I I think about the joyful moments. I think about when my kids were born. I mean, for me, that was a, that was a joyful moment for us. I remember sitting there, and I remember Kasha um, being right there, and I remember um, as this moment is happening, I remember this unfolding in my mind. Oh, my goodness, we are bringing new life into this world. Like, this is happening right now. My wife and I made this little tiny girl with hair all over her head and all over her face. And I thought, man, this is one hairy little girl. (laughs) And I remember processing through and and thinking about that and thinking about the life and thinking about how exciting that is. And and then we had Gabe and then Josiah and just just those miracles of life that happened. For me, that is is a joy-filled moment. And then I think of my grandfather. I think of my grandfather, Edwin Marsh, who passed away. And I, I remember him... I just, I just remember those moments. I remember my grandfather walking into um, his home every day and he would sit down in his chair and he would pray and he would seek the Lord and he would read his, uh, the word of God and he had his uh, daily bread every day that he would open up this little devotion thing and, and he would pray for each and every one of the grandkids by name. And uh, this is my grandfather right here. And uh, I, I look at that picture and I think about the, the pain 
that came when my grandfather passed away. I remember watching my, my mother cry and cry and cry. I remember her processing through the fact that her father had passed away, someone who was a hero in our family, someone who we have so many great memories with. And, and my grandfather is the reason why I'm a hard worker today. I, I'm, I mean, honestly, my, my grandfather taught me how to work hard, and he taught me how to work in spite of how I felt. Because can I just tell you, sometimes you don't feel like working but you got to work through it anyways. I can't tell you the amount of times I've wanted to give up on pulling carpet, but my grandfather's voice is in the back of my mind saying, pull, 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 Brian. And there's some other words that come because my grandfather had a little rough edges, so I think of him looking at me going, you stupid jackass, pull that carpet, you know, like <laughs> I can see that. I can, I can hear him saying that to me in my mind. And, uh, but there was pain that was filled in that moment. Ups and downs when he passed away. I remember when a year later my grandmother passed away. We kind of knew that hope um, probably wouldn't be long once Eddie, is, is how she would say, oh Eddie. I remember my grandmother was the prayer warrior. She was the prayer foundation of our family. Every day praying Moments where she would sit there. I remember her sitting at the kitchen table just bawling her eyes out as she prayed for the family and prayed for needs in the church and people who were sick in body. And my grandmother, man, she knew how to pray. She would pray and she would pray. And I remember when she passed away and I remember watching my mom once again, the brokenness of my mother and watching that whole moment unfold with my sisters. And it felt like in a way like that piece, that chapter of our story as a family had come to an end. And in some ways, a lot of things have changed since they passed away. And I think about that, and I think about, man, that feels like in some ways, like it's a more of a valley. But can I just encourage you and me, listen, this is us. Listen, life is not just filled with all of the, the great things. This is us. It's, it's you and I living in the good times and the bad times. It's you and I going through moments of joy when new life is coming, and going through moments of pain together when life is being taken. But remember, this world is just, just a glimpse. It's just a vapor. It's just a, it's just a breath in comparison to all of eternity. I mean, you and I, I know it feels like this life, you know, is what everything's about. But can I just remind you once again that we get to spend eternity with Christ in heaven. And there's beauty in that. And there's beauty because, you know, for me, one of the beautiful things is, is, is my grandparents knew and loved the Lord, and so I will see my grandfather, and I will see my grandmother one day. And so the pain that it may be temporary here brings with it much joy at a homecoming, at a moment when we're all back together, when life seems to be back. It's interesting to think about life and how we have these ups and downs. I mean, I think of graduating from college. I remember that moment for me, and you know, it's interesting to think about graduating from college because graduating college can, can be a really, a really big up, but it could also be a really big downer. You know, the average student right now walks away from college with $30,100 in debt. That's a lot of money. Because anyone, just, just look at your neighbor and say, that's a lot of money. No, you got to say it like I said it. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money. 
But you may be saying, well, but at least they get a degree out of it. Yeah, you're right, because the typical wedding day, the typical wedding day, here we go. This is a stat from 2017, the cost of a wedding in 2017. Here we go. This is the average. Not, this isn't the high. This is the average. $25,764. And what do you get from one day, a wedding day? You get bliss the rest of your life. That's what it is. But can you believe that? $25,764? Does anyone else think that's crazy? Yeah, yeah. So we've told Jordan, eh. <laughs> listen, and, and I know things are changing, and the, and the thing I, that I really hope that doesn't change is I hope that it's not, I hope it never becomes, you know, like an even responsibility where the, you know, the, you know, the girl, because normally it's the, the bride's family who pays for most of the wedding, but it seems like things are shifting a little bit. And I thought I was going to get off easy because I got one girl and two boys, you know. Um, and some of these families that have all girls, I know you're hoping it actually shifts the other way. You're like, please, please do. But that one day can be filled with ups and can be filled with downs. Life is always filled with moments, and how you and I respond to those moments really determines the life that you and I live. Now, Jesus actually shares with you and I and and encourages us in this manner. He says, listen, you um, can overcome because I've overcome. In John chapter 16, verse 33, he says this, I have said these things to you that in me, now that's the key, in me, you may have peace in the world. So listen, in the, even in the midst of $25,764 weddings, you can have peace. But the only way you'll have peace is in Christ. Because in the world, you'll have tribulations. And when you get a $25,000 bill for a wedding, that's going to be a tribulation. But here we go. Take heart, for God has overcome the world. But the key in this passage is, is that it happens in me, in me, in Jesus. You see, Jesus won the victory over the system. He overcame the world so that you and I could have peace. Jesus, the strong man, came and destroyed Satan's kingdom. Jesus is the victor. He's the one who already won. He's the one who's overcome everything. He's the one that you and I can look to in the midst of our struggles, in the midst of our problems. And what Jesus wanted the disciples to remember, just like he wants us to remember, is the fact that you and I can rejoice in the victory that's already been provided. That's why he says, take heart. Now, this idea of take heart, when you look really uh, at that word, it, it comes from one Greek word here uh, called therosol. And that one Greek word in other translations and other moments throughout the scriptures actually is translated this, to be courageous and to cheer up. So take heart really means this, to be courageous and to cheer up. So when it says in this passage, when it says, but take heart, I have overcome the world, what Jesus is reminding us about is he's saying, but be courageous, but be cheered up, be excited, be passionate, because I've already overcome. I've already taken care of the things that you and I are, are encountering, because you and I can be courageous. We can cheer up 
And that happens through that first part, which says, in me. See, life is a journey. The writer of Hebrews gives us a great word picture um, of this journey of life that we are called to. And I, I know many of us are familiar with this passage here in Hebrews chapter 12. He talks about it being a race, that, that really life is like a race. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. So think about the race fans gathered around. They're cheering on. He says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Now, it's interesting the, the imagery that you and I are given there. It's this idea of a weight, this idea of something that is clinging to us, this sin that clings closely to us. See, it's not that it's far away. It's not that it's, it's the problem with culture around us isn't the culture around us. It's the culture that's upon us. It's not because the world around us is getting worse that life seems to have so many ups and downs. It's because of the sin that so easily entangles that we hold close to. When we allow sin to run in our minds, and we allow it to just lay there dormant. The other day I was driving home, driving right down 223. In my mind, I just kind of let it go void. And all of a sudden my mind went to some places my mind should not go. And literally, my mind is going there, and, and all of a sudden, my spirit, like an alarm, ding, 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 says, Brian, what are you doing? And all of a sudden, I'm like, whoa, what, 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 wait, ah! And I'm like, in my car, like, in the name of Jesus, I take my thoughts captive, I cast them aside, in the name of Jesus, I will not allow my mind, you know, and I'm just, I am just taken and battling out in the middle of my car. People are probably looking at me as I'm, I'm right in front of McDonald's and I'm just, what? I'm just calling it out, you know, because I'm like, listen, I am not going to allow sin to lay dormant in my life. I'm not, I'm going to take captive every thought. I'm going to take captive those thoughts that come in. Come on, men, take captive your thoughts. It's not the problem of the world around you. It's the fact that you're not taking captive your thoughts. Take captive your thoughts. Ladies, take captive your thoughts. Listen, you don't, you don't need no 50 shades of gray to teach you how to enjoy life and all. Listen, you don't need all that garbage. Take your thoughts captive. You don't need no soap operas. And today's, today's TV series are like soap operas. Filled with garbage. Filled with stuff throughout. Listen, don't let sin cling closely. He goes on to say, but let us run with endurance. Listen, we can all sprint. Listen, some of us right now, you're in a sprint. Can I tell you, remember, you got to endure. You're so on fire. It's like 2019, I'm ready. I'm reading my Bible. It's really hard in Hosea right now, but I'm in it. I'm in it. I'm praying for psalms to come. I'm so excited. But you're like, I'm in it. And you're sprinting out of the gate. But can I just remind you, it is an endurance race that we're after. We're not just here for the sprint. It's not just I'm going to sprint the first two months of the year and then go live like the world the rest of the year. And then at the end of the year, oh, my goodness, what did I do? And then we come back and we start sprinting. No, it's an endurance race that's been set before us. And then I love this because the, the writer here in Hebrews goes on to say this, and it's once again that key, looking to Jesus. 
He says, listen, the endurance race that's been set before us, he says, looking to Jesus. And I, and I put just this passage up here because I want you to really get this. In the midst of the race, you and I have to look to Jesus. In the midst of what God's calling us to, we got, we got to look to him because he's the founder, it goes on to say, and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. You and I are called to look to Jesus. When we let go of that thing that weighs us down, that sin, when we take captive our thoughts, when we lay our sin at the cross, and when we look to Jesus, what we see is his simple command to love others, to love God, we see that play out, and all of a sudden we begin to realize, okay, life will be filled with ups and downs, but if I keep my eyes fixed on the perfecter, if I keep my eyes fixed on the founder, if I, if I keep my eyes fixed on the one who, who sets me free from sin, if I keep my eyes fixed on him, then I can run the endurance race. Because a journey of a thousand miles doesn't start by you, to, you know, just jumping out there. No, it starts by simple steps. One after another. Here at Bethany, our, our mission is real simple. This is our mission at Bethany. And I wish, I wish it wasn't snowing today because so many people don't come because it snows. And so when you find out someone wasn't here, say, you got to listen to the message and stop being a pansy and go to church. It's not that much snow. It's like an inch. It's like an inch of snow. And people are like, oh, I can't go to church. There's snow. It's like, come on. Seriously? Get to church. So, or if you're watching right now, thank you for watching online. But it's an inch of snow, really. It's an inch of snow. It's not that much. But our mission is simple. It's bringing people one step closer. And we say this, by loving God, loving people, and loving life. And so the next three weeks, what I want to unpack is this idea of loving God. That's this week. Next week, loving people. And the week after that, loving life. It's interesting because life is all about steps. It's not about leaps. It's about steps. So today, your step could have been you came back to church. And can I just say that's a huge step. And so many times we forget to celebrate the steps because we, we want to see the victories down here. But, but to get to that victory, it is a life filled, a journey filled with many steps along the way. Celebrate the steps. This church is all about celebrating the steps. This church is over 75 years old. It would not be 75 years old if people along the way had not celebrated the steps. We have to celebrate the steps that people are taking. And so listen, when you take a step forward, we celebrate with you. So let the pressure come off that you think you got to be like everyone else sitting in this room. Let that go. Because most of the people sitting in this room don't have it all together either. And one of them standing on the stage. I don't have it all together. But you know what I'm doing? I'm taking steps. And every day I'm taking steps. And every day I'm recognizing what God's doing in my life. And every day I'm saying, okay, Brian, you got to die to that, that flesh. you got to die to that sinful nature. Come on, there's, there's junk out there that's coming at us all the time. There's always shortcut ways that we think. But the Lord is calling us to something greater. The Lord is calling us to love. So how do we love God? How do we love people and how do we love life? Well, Jesus is the key. We've seen that throughout these passages of Scripture we've already looked at. If we're going to run the race, we've got to look to Jesus. If, if, if we're trying to get rid of sin, we've got to look to Jesus. It's found in Jesus. 
So Jesus is the key. The only way that you can love is if you've experienced the love of the Father. But definition of love, Webster would say this. The Webster would say it's a strong affection for another. It's to hold dear or to thrive in. Can, can I challenge you with this thought today that you and I thrive when we love God and when we love people and when we love life? When you and I are loving God and when we, you and I are loving people and when we're loving life, we thrive. Like we, there's victory. Like we, we sense it. We feel it. We're like, man, I'm thriving. Life is going good right now. The minute we stop loving God, the minute we stop loving others, the minute we stop loving life, we begin to just fall into a pattern of despair. We begin to fall into patterns where we don't feel like we're winning, where we don't feel like we're th- thriving. We go, man, I, I'm losing in life. But I've never met somebody who was loving God, who was loving people and loving life that said, oh man, life is just not good. Oh, it's just horrible. What happens is, is we stop loving, and when we stop loving, we stop thriving. John writes it this way in 1 John chapter 4. He, he begins to talk about this idea of love, and I'm going to read to you from the message translation. Uh, 1 John 4, 7 through 16, and in the message translation it writes this. It says, my beloved friends... Let us continue to love each other since love comes from God. So we're reminded about where love comes from. He says, everyone who loves is born of God and experiences a relationship with God. The person who refuses to love doesn't know the first thing about God because God is love. So you can't know him if you don't love. Now now pause there for a minute. Did you catch that? You can't love others if you don't know him. That also is saying that if you love him, you should be loving others. If you love God, you've experienced his love, then loving others will come from you loving God, from you experiencing the love of God. It goes on to say this is how God showed us his love. That God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sin and the damage that we've done to our relationship with God. So God is all about clearing up the things in your life and in my life that have tried to keep us from him by experiencing his love. So then he goes on to say, so my dear, dear friends, if God loved us like this, we certainly ought to love each other. For no one has seen God ever, he says. But if we love one another, God dwells deeply within us. It's his love that becomes complete in us. It's it's perfect love. This is how we know that we're living steadily and deeply in him. And he in us, he has given us life from his life. From his very own spirit. And then it goes on to say, and also... We've seen for ourselves and continue to state openly that the Father sent his Son as a Savior to the world. And everyone who confesses that Jesus is God's Son participates continuously in an intimate relationship with God. We know it so well. We've embraced it, heart and soul, this love that comes from God. See, you and I are challenged to think differently about love. We're challenged differently to think about how we love God, how we love others, and how we love life. But this is us. This is us. People who are just on a journey trying to figure it out, right? Come on, no one's got it all together. We're on a journey. 
Look at your neighbor and say, I don't have it together. Because you don't. Now, are you in process? Yes, I hope so. Are you taking steps? Yes, I hope so. But you don't have it all together. You don't have it all figured out. Some of, you, some of the kids just heard from their parents that they don't have it all together. Like, tonight, they're going to use that against you, mom and dad. <laughs> and can I just tell you, when you're wrong, mom and dad, admit it. Just say, you know what, I was wrong. I can't tell you the amount of times that Kasha and I have looked at our kids and said, man, I'm sorry, I acted in anger in that moment. I shouldn't have responded that way. Now, that doesn't excuse the way that you are behaving, young man. (laughs) But I'm sorry, right? Because if our kids always see us pretending like we have it all together and never being vulnerable and never admitting when we're in the wrong, then what they see is they see a false image of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. My kids know that we mess up. My boys know I struggle with things, many of the same things that my boys struggle with. And I have created boundaries in my life. I have taken captive thoughts in my life. Do you know that as a man, I struggle with lust? I know some of you are surprised. You shouldn't be. And so you know what I have to do as a man? I have to take captive my thoughts. I have to take captive those things. So the other day when I was driving, like I was talking about, my mind went into a lustful place. And I literally, it was like I just was just driving. And then the, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God prompted my heart and said, Brian, wait a minute, that is not you. Do not allow that to cling to you. Do not allow that to sit in your mind. Had I acted on it? No. Was, was, was I doing something wrong necessarily? No, but I needed to take, take captive that thought. Because why? Because love goes beyond that. Love actually looks at it and says, you know what? Love is greater than a feeling. Love actually takes responsibility. Love takes responsibility. And so you and I are called to love God. You and I are called to love others. You and I are called to love life. And if we are called to love, then we have to be responsible for that. And so what we have to do in our lives is we have to take captive that. Listen, it may not be a lustful thought. Maybe, maybe it's a depressive thought that you've been struggling with. And it's like, it's like a, a thought of I'm not good enough or, or I, I never measure up enough. And can I just tell you, take that thought captive and say, listen, that is not from the Lord because he says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. He says that I'm his son, his daughter. So you take captive that thought and you say, that is not of the Lord. And so I will not think that way. I will not act that way. So many times we, we just allow our mind to just sit there in these moments. We need to take captive because love is greater than any feeling. It goes beyond any feeling. Love actually requires responsibility. This is us. This is you. This is me. And all throughout the scriptures, we see individuals who had to take responsibility for the love that they not only experienced, but the love that they gave to others. Think about Adam and Eve in the garden. I mean, every day they're walking, they're talking with the Lord. Every day they're experiencing the goodness and fullness of God. Every day they're having everything that they ever need. And yet in the midst of all of it, they still find themselves in a moment of sin. Of of, of anyone who should have won, of anyone who should have had it all together, I mean, everything they needed was provided for them. Daily they met with the Lord. 
Daily they literally walked with the Lord. Daily every need was being taken care of, and yet still sin crept in through what? An idle thought that was placed by the enemy who came in and whispered into the, eve of e- into the ear of Eve and said, if you eat of that, you'll become like him. It wasn't the fact that they heard it that it was wrong. It was when they acted on it. Eve didn't take captive that thought. Eve didn't say, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Eve began to think about it, began to process it through. Then goes to Adam and, hey, Adam, what do you think about this? We could become like God. You and I, we could have it all. Oh, there's that root. See, we are responsible to love Adam and Eve. I mean, think about Moses. Think about Moses for a minute. Moses, here's this guy who wrote the first five books of the Bible. Saw the tail end of the presence of God. His face shone so brightly when he came off the mountain that they literally had to cover it because he had experienced God's presence so strongly. And yet, what does Moses do in anger? Breaks the Ten Commandments. I mean, could you imagine the, the tabloid magazines today if that had happened? Moses, in a fit of rage, breaks God's law. I mean, like this whole moment unfolding. Moses can't hold it together. See, Moses wasn't perfect. Abraham wasn't perfect. I mean, Abraham, (laughs) he receives the notice that his wife, Sarah, is pregnant. He's 100 years old. Come on now, all my older people in the house. What if the Lord right now said, it's time to have a baby? Come on now. Sarah was 90 years old. Come on, ladies in the house who are up there in age. Come on now. What if all of a sudden your husband said, the Lord spoke to me last night. You're going to have a baby. (laughs) Come on, some of you would be like, that right there is a valley moment, Pastor Brian. (laughs) I raised my kids. They are out of the house. People around you be thinking you're crazy until you started showing. And they'd be like, it's a miracle. <laughs> Think about Daniel. He experienced God's love in the lion's den. Think about Jonah experiencing God's love in the belly of the whale. Samson experiencing God's love when strength was given back to him. Think about John the Baptist who experienced God's love in the baptism of Jesus. Think about Peter who experienced God's love when, when Jesus called him. Called him of all people. Simple, ordinary guy. Think about the disciples who experienced God's love every time they saw the miracles unfolding around them. So listen, good times and bad times. See, this is us. So there's bad times that happen. Lazarus of Bethany dies, dead in a grave, four days later. Come on, that's not good news. Think about John watching his Savior die. Think about Paul experiencing God's love in the midst of shipwreck three times, beating, stonings, imprisonment, spend a night and a day out in open sea, cold and naked, the scriptures tell us. Listen, how do you respond to love in the midst of the good and the bad? Well, what you do is love begins to go and goes beyond that feeling. It goes beyond um, all that's going on, and, and there's a responsibility there. See, you and I are responsible to love God. There's a responsibility that you and I have to love God. You're responsible to love God. 
See, the reason why you and I aren't robots who just do what we're told to do is because the Father longs for the love of his children. He longs for you and I to love him. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13 says this, In this life we have three lasting qualities, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of them is love. You and I are challenged to love. 1 Corinthians 14, a few verses later, says this, Follow the way of love. And another translation says, make love the greatest aim. Make love your greatest aim. Make it the the thing that you always are going after. And so many times, though, Christianity, we have made the greatest aim of Christianity not about loving God, not about loving others and loving life. What we've made the greatest aim is knowledge. If somehow we can gain more knowledge, if we can sit there and just gain more. So, so we come and we, we just take in and we take in and we're like, I'm going to read, I'm going to watch this Bible study, I'm going to study here, I'm going to do this. And we just, we become knowledge and we just constantly take in. But here's the problem. Anything that constantly takes in but never gives out becomes swampy and nasty. You have to have an outlet out of you. And the outlet that God put in you is love. You love God, you love others, and you love the life that God's given you. And what happens is, is even when the knowledge keeps coming in, it just flows right in and flows right out. And as it's flowing in and it's flowing out, you begin to become more like him. But when you just get puffed up and you just take more knowledge and more knowledge and more knowledge, then you become not like Jesus, you become like the Pharisees. See, Jesus was constantly taking in but then giving out. Look at his character. Constantly taking in, but giving out. Taking the common, or taking, not the common, at this time, taking the gospel, the, 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 the religious times, the religious nature of who God is and all that and the law. He took all of that that was actually only a select group of people could take care of it. And what Jesus comes on and Jesus is like, listen, it's for everyone. Jews and Gentiles. Everybody gets this. But what happens is, is the Pharisees want to control it. And so the Pharisees want to know more and more and more, get puffed up, don't give out. And then, well, we don't want to be a Pharisee. But if you're sitting here and going, do I want to be a Pharisee? No, you do not want to be a Pharisee. Say, well, why, why, why don't I? Because Pastor Brian, I'm not going to just take it because you said no. Okay, fine. The Pharisees were not people who were known as loving or caring They were known as controlling. They were known as individuals who were kind of behind the scenes trying to put things together. We see even Judas. Judas was convinced by the Pharisees and the Sadducees to actually do what? To betray Jesus behind the scenes. They knew what they were doing was against the law. They knew it was against even their own law, but they were willing to negate, willing to look the other way, so that what? So they could shut the mouth of the one who was trying to take their power away. You don't want to be like the Pharisees. You see, being a Christian isn't about what you know, but really it's about how you love. Let me say that again. Being a Christian isn't about what you know, but it's about how you love. See, our greatest aim should be to love others, to love God, and to love life. I heard about this young preschooler um, who was talking to his mom about God's love and how crazy it was. And this young preschooler kept saying, I I just can't believe that God knows me. And the mom was just, you know, kind of just kept having this conversation. How many of you ever had a conversation with a preschooler? I mean, like, it, it is fun to have that conversation 
And so the preschooler just kept saying that, Mom, he knows me, he knows me, my name and everything. And so Mom finally encouraged him and said, that's awesome. And, uh, but said, well, what is it that causes you to think that you know him by name? And the little boy said, oh, it's from my memory verse at church. And so the mom was like, oh, really, what memory verse was that? And the little boy said, our Father who art in heaven, how'd you know my name? How'd you know my name? So the hollow would be your name. How'd you know my name? Listen, God knows your name. He knows everything about you. He has everything lined up for you and I. And you and I are known. We are known and loved by God. We belong to him. Galatians talks about it. It says, those who belong to Christ Jesus um, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. If we live by the Spirit, then let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Listen, since 1943 here at Bethany Assembly, this local expression of the church, people have been loving God and taking steps in the Spirit. Listen, this is us. This is who you and I are. This is who we've been called to. They've been saying no to the things of this world, crucifying their passions and desires, taking every thought captive like Paul encourages us. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5 says this, the world is unprincipled. It's a dog-eat-dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair. But we don't live or fight our battles that way, never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entirely massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for the clearing the ground of every obstruction and building the lives of obedience into maturity. Listen, in order for you and I to love God, we've got to clear some things up. See, today, my challenge to you is to love God. But for some of us, we've got to clear some obstructions. We've got to clear some way in order to be able to love him. And sometimes, in order to love others and to love God, we've got to receive his love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about this love. It says love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. It doesn't have a swelled head. It doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first. It doesn't fly off the handle. It doesn't keep score of the sins of others. It doesn't revel when others grovel. It does, takes pleasure in the flowering of truth, and it puts up with anything. Trust God always, always looks back for the best. Never looks back, excuse me, but keeps going to the end. Think about that kind of love. That's the kind of love that God has for you and I. So, so what do we do? What do we do to love God? Well, throughout this whole message, hopefully you've seen one thing. We look to Jesus. When we look to Jesus, we stay close to him. There's three simple ways for you to stay close to him. And here they are. Talk to God. Talk to God. Just talk to him. Just, just have a conversation with him. For many of us, that first conversation is just, it's just simply sitting down and saying, God, here I am. I'm a little messed up. I'm a little broken, but I need you. And you just begin to talk to him and say, God, this is the next step I feel like I, I have in my life. Would you help me in that? And God begins to help you. You meditate on his word. Spend time reading God's word. I know it's Hosea right now. I know it's tough. But Psalms is a coming. 
But just meditate. Meditate on God's word. God, what are, you, what are you trying to speak to me here? And then here's the third one is stay connected to his family. See, you need the people who are in this room. I know sometimes you think you don't need anyone because your mama or your daddy taught you you don't need nobody. No one else needs to help you. But that is the whole reason the church exists, the bride of Christ is so that we would bear one another's burdens, so that we would come alongside of each other and walk through life together. You and I are actually better together. Listen, this is us. This is us. You and I are better together. This is us. In the next gathering today, there's five people who are going to be going public for Jesus and water baptism. But, but I do wonder today, and we always are prepared every week, I wonder if maybe someone today, you're sitting here in this room and you haven't taken that next step of water baptism. And what water baptism is, is it's a public expression of an inward commitment. It's you publicly saying to everyone around you, listen, I'm going to live for Jesus. I want everyone around me to know. And if you have not been baptized yet, can I just encourage you, that's a great next step. Take it. Take that step. And today, if you're like, you know what, I, I, I think today's my day. I, I want to do it. We have all the things you'd need, everything. I mean, change of clothes. We, we have everything you need to be baptized today, everything. And so I sit here and I wonder, man, are you, are you here today? And you're like, man, you know what, Pastor Brian, it would be great for me to take that step today. Then, then just encourage you, take that step. Take the step. Maybe today your first step isn't, isn't baptism. Maybe that's not the next one. Maybe for you, the first step would be just surrendering to Christ. Just saying, Jesus, would you be Lord of my life? Would you forgive me my sin? Would you change me? And you'd receive that free gift he has for you. That's the beauty of the gospel is this, is it's simple. It's not some complicated thing. In order to love God, you have to receive his love. And I say this all the time, and it is so true that God is crazy, madly in love with you. There's nothing you've done, there's no place you've gone that would keep God from loving you. And listen, I know some of us maybe have had some dark past, but God still loves us. He still says, no, you're my kid. You're my son, you're my daughter. I still have a plan, I still have a purpose. Even if it's later in life, he still has a plan and purpose and He's reaching out to you and he's saying, listen, will you take that next step? So today I'm just going to ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes across this room. Our mission is simple. We're bringing people one step closer. Our mission is simple, but today we want to encourage you to take a step. Just one simple step. What's the next step? Maybe for you today, it would be loving God but just talking to him this week. Maybe that's your next step. Maybe it would be by showing your love for God, by just, by just meditating on his word, reading his word. Maybe for you, it would just be a simple step of surrender. God is reaching out to you today. He's crazy madly in love with you. I know that many in this room today have surrendered their life to Christ. But I wonder if maybe today you're here and you'd say, you know what, I haven't taken that step yet. 
Maybe you haven't taken that step of surrendering to him and saying, Jesus, be Lord of my life. Forgive me of my sin. Change me. I know how to pray a real simple prayer and would love to walk you through a journey and the next step. And today you would say, you know what, that's me. Pastor Brian, I, I find myself far from God and I, I want to come closer to him. I want to take that next step. Maybe today you'd even say, you know what, Pastor Brian, I remember that moment when I surrendered my life to Christ, but man, I've, I've kind of fallen away. I've kind of, I've allowed other things to come in and cling to my life. That sin, that, that weight has really clung on to my life and it feels like I don't have hope right now. Man, I need that hope. Man, this, this is a prayer for you as well. So if today, if you'd say, you know, Pastor Brian, that's me. I, I need to surrender my life to Christ for the first time. Or maybe it's, it's you need to recommit your life to Christ this morning. Would you just real quickly with heads bowed, and eyes closed. Would you just real quickly just raise your hand and say, Pastor Brian, that's me. Come on, I need to take that step. I see that hand back there. Come on, you just say, I just, I need to take that step today. I need to take that step. God is reaching out to you and he's saying, would you take that step with me today? I see that hand up there. You're just going to take that step, just one simple step today. God takes great steps with you. Anyone else? I want us to pray with those who have raised their hand this morning. Would you all join with me today by repeating this prayer with me? Would you say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I need your help. So would you forgive me of my sin, change my life. From this moment forward, I will live for you. From this moment forward, I won't do this on my own. I need your help. I receive you into my life to live differently from this moment forward. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the beauty of that moment right there is just like the song we're getting ready to sing is that chains have fallen off, chains of sin, chains of garbage. When you surrender to Christ, that just begins to fall off. I'm going to encourage you to stand to your feet this morning. And I want us to sing this song out and just to declare the faithfulness of who God is. And let's just believe as we're singing this song, let's believe for people who we know who need to encounter Jesus Christ, who would then be people who would be taking steps of water baptism. Come on, do you see that? Do you, do you see people sitting there? Because sometimes you got to believe for those moments to take place. I, and I picture right now in this gathering, in fact, just, I just close your eyes for a moment across this place. You just see the room just begin to fill with people. You see people encountering Jesus. You see people lifting their hands and worshiping and receiving hope. You see people encountering Jesus and taking steps and going public in a water baptism moment. Do you see people being healed? Do you see people being set free from chains of addictions? Do you see people being set free from depression? Come on, would you just begin to see it? Would you just begin to see it in your heart? Would you begin to see it in your mind? Would you begin to allow your spirit, man, to align with what God is desiring to do? Would you say, the desires of the flesh need to go? Because Jesus changes everything. Because Jesus changes everything. Come on, do you see it? Do you see it? Let's just declare it with our mouth.